God is going to speak to each and every one of you that hear this message. When you leave this church today, I think each and every one of you are going to be strengthened and encouraged by the word that you hear. But I will tell you that I believe, and I believe this firmly, that there are a number of people that are here today hearing this message, a number of people that will leave here as vessels of hope, vessels of hope, receiving a miracle today. And you will go out into the world and you will become that source of hope that the world so desperately needs. And I believe that that's going to happen today for at least some of you. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. And, and, and while you're headed there, let me set the stage for what we're going to do today. Today we're going we're to kind of segment this service into two parts. And the first part I'll call a, 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 a service of celebration. And what's going on is that I'm going to have a few people in this congregation that either God has moved in them or through them recently. And who knows that God is moving today? I believe it. I believe it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate, as, as it says, as the word says in, in Romans 12 and 15, we're going to we're going to do the first part of that verse. We're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. Amen. And then what we'll do is we'll kind of shift from there a little bit. And we'll go into the, what, the portion of the message that, to me, is a little bit tougher because I'm going to have to confess and then I'm going to make a declaration over some of us. So um, we'll get to that and that will play out a little bit later. Anyway... Um, I want to set the stage for the first part of this where we're going to hear testimonies of some of the folks that, that uh, are members of this church. Um, a couple of years ago, I was given the opportunity to, to speak a message on Wednesday night, and I called the message Stacking Up Stones. And the reason that I preached that message is because I believe that very, very directly that there is a spiritual connection between the things that the early heroes of the faith did in terms of stacking up stones and what we do today by speaking out our testimonies and recording our testimonies. You see, God says in His Word that, that and we'll see this in just a little bit here in Joshua, He tells people, Sometimes he tells them, sometimes he doesn't. He says, stack up stones and this will be a reminder of something. And as we speak out our testimonies, the same thing happens. People are receive that testimony and they're reminded of something. Or they're encouraged. So that's what we're going to do today. We're, the first part of this message is we're going to stack up stones and we're going to honor some of those things that God is doing in the, in the lives of some of the folks here at Generations Church. So let's go to Joshua chapter 4. Have you found it yet? And before we jump off into Joshua chapter 4, I want to I want to go back in time from Joshua chapter 4. And Joshua chapter 4 is really an exciting part of the Bible to me 
Because this is the time that the children of Israel are getting all fired up and they're going to move across the Jordan into the land that God has promised them and their forefathers. And so it's an awesome time. Just think about the excitement that, that would be among the, the camp of the children of Israel when the word is passed up and down the, the, the roads. Hey, get up. We're getting ready to go. And so that's where Joshua chapter 4 begins. And we're getting ready to see that. And then I want to back up 600 years or so before that. And you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to just read a couple of verses out of Genesis 12. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. And it says, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So what we're seeing right here in these two verses is this is the, the, the first time that Abram, and he visits the, the land that God says, get up and I'll show you a land. But this is the first time that he's actually entered into the land right here in these two verses. And God shows himself and he says, I'm going to build an altar right here in this place. So hold on to that. And every, let, as a matter of fact, everybody say, he stacked up stones. Amen. That's what he did. So let's go now and we'll pass over into Joshua chapter 4. And we'll start reading in verse 5. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there till this day. Everybody say, they stacked up stones. So, what happened here is, the children of Israel, when they crossed over the Jordan, not only did they stack up stones in the bottom of the river, but then they carried some stones up, and where they exited the river somewhere, they stacked up another set of stones, and God is very clear, or Joshua, I think God speaking through Joshua says, this is going to be a reminder to all of us when the children ask, hey, what's going on? We'll be reminded that the Ark of the Covenant and all the people crossed over into the promised land on dry ground. It'll be a testimony. It'll be a testimony of what God did for us. So Israel goes into the land 
And through the mighty hand of the Lord, Israel is victorious. And they rout over the course of a number of years. It actually doesn't appear that way when you read the account. But over the course of a number of years, they get rid of all of the people in accordance with God's instruction, all of the people that are dwelling in the, in the, in the promised land. And after this happens, they begin to settle down into the land. And, you know, as so often happens, the tribes kind of get to squabbling amongst themselves. Some of the tribes that live on the east side of the river, they raise up an altar and it, you know, it gets bad. It gets bad. So in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua, and you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll actually cover it for you. In Joshua chapter 24, Joshua gathers the people, all of the tribes of Israel, because there's squabbling's going on. And he gathers them up, and he gathers, them, gathers the people in a place called Shechem. The same place that Abram built the altar when he was first shown the land. The same place. Matter of fact, although it's not scriptural, I believe that it's probably correct that the children of Israel were probably sitting in, within sight of the altar that that uh, Abram raised up. And so Joshua kind of sets the children of Israel straight in, in, in chapter 24, and the people declare, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice we will obey. So Joshua stacked a large stone under the oak tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And then in verse 27, he declares, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all of the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua took a stone and said, This will be a reminder when we got things straightened out. Same place that the stones were stacked up by Abram 600 years earlier. I mean, there's a lot of stone stacking going on, isn't there? And today, praise God, we're going to stack up some stones too. So let's hear some testimony, shall we? All right. So the first person I want to introduce you to, Charlie, you want to come up here? This, everybody, this is Charlie Murray. Let's welcome him. Praise God. Praise God. <clears throat> what an honor and a blessing it is to share divine intervention and supernatural healing, which is what I'm going to talk about. I was a skeptic of all skeptics due to what I've done for a living for years, which is, if it don't add up, one and one is two, it doesn't exist. And uh, that's where I come from. Not too long ago, I was invited to pray over someone. This is about two or three years, three years ago. I was invited to help pray over someone. So I did. And the person had divine intervention, supernatural healing on the spot. I was in shock. Uh, I started searching the Bible and reading more, and, and I read about laying hands and anointing. And uh, 
the obligation we have to do that, according to Jesus and Paul's instructions, Peter talks about it. <clears throat> Two years ago, I needed a lot of medical stuff done to me because I abused my body in the youth. And I was knocked out, anesthetized, during several procedures in hospitals for the whole year of 2010. I know from good authority, my wife, that people were praying over me, and I narrowly escaped not making it out some of those rooms. <clears throat> so, I accepted that. But I wasn't a witness to it. I was the receiver. So, okay. About six weeks ago, my wonderful general practitioner, doctor who I've known 30 years, knows what I sound like and all about me. <clears throat> and he, I was there for just uh, an annual kind of checkup thing. And he said, Charlie, you know that little heart interruption you've had forever? I can't hear it anymore because your heart is in fibrillation. And I said, wow. I was devastated. Uh, my wife was devastated. Uh, I was in tears. Uh, I thought I was cured. Uh, you know, I thought I had some of my youth back. I thought I was doing well. And he hit me with it, and there's no reason for it. Uh, it just happened. And so uh, we came here on Sunday. This was on a Thursday. The doctor said we're going to run an EKG, and it showed the same thing. And and uh, and and uh, I shared with what my wife and and we we were just I was just comatose standing. He said, "Come back uh, Monday. I'm going to refer you to your specialist. We're going to check you again and go from there. But we got to do something quick." I walked into this room. With my head down, I wasn't ready for anything. I just was talking to God like I do, sitting there. And next thing I know, my wife grabs me and says, let's go up front. And hands were laid on me. I was anointed and prayed over in this room. Monday morning, I went back to my doctor to set up procedures and so forth and so on. He listened to my heart again. He said, it's amazing, I can't hear anything. And I said, listen again, Doc. He said, what's happened? I said, I had hands laid on me yesterday. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> I have had a small procedure done because my heart's sound enough for it to get rid of the little interruptive that I've had my whole life. That's gone away too. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't God good? All the time. Amen. Let's hear some more. You want to? Marietta, you want to come up here and tell tell everybody what God is doing with you? Praise God. 
Several months ago, I started seeing, in my vision, I started seeing everything like this or like this in one eye. So all my vision, I had no more depth perception because everything was so wavy. I, had to, I couldn't have walked up those stairs without somebody's holding my arm and helping me. I, uh, I noticed that my depth perception when I parked the car was getting worse and uh, when I was driving down the road, so much so that Greg stopped me from going on a trip because he was afraid of me driving in an unknown area. And uh, so I, ended, I didn't know what was happening in the beginning. So I had this funhouse-looking vision in the funhouse mirror. That was my vision in one eye. And it separated, and I would see two, vision, two images and I couldn't make them converge back into one. So I would see one normal vision and one funhouse mirror vision. What I learned was that the little sack of fluid in my eye, and if you're squeamish, you can close your, put your hands over your ears, had pulled away from the back of my eye, which is a normal process, but in the process had wrinkled the, the uh, space right over the macula which is where you focus. That's the focal point of all the nerves that go into your brain that tell you what you're seeing. And uh, so I, I got some medical care and was told that the only hope was to have this procedure done where they take out the middle of my eyeball and that they remove the scar tissue that's in the very back of the eye. Eight years ago, that procedure did not exist because they didn't have instruments tiny enough to get inside the eye to do this. So I was promised that maybe I might get 50% of my vision back corrected. And as I walked into that surgery room, I had, I was seeing somewhere between 2080 and 2100 corrected. Um, so I had hopes of getting 2040, maybe 2050 at the, at the high side, the high end. So I um, had the surgery, and a week post-surgery, the improvement was so drastic that the doctor um, did a test that he normally doesn't do and said that my retina was capable at one week post-surgery, normal healing time is six to eight months, not weeks, months, I was able to see um, when they would... I, he, my retina was capable of seeing up to 2030. What that doctor didn't know is that I never saw better than 2030. <laughs> so, so at five weeks post-surgery, he gave me the go-ahead to go ahead and get glasses. And when I went in to the doctor to get my glasses, I asked him after the, the whole uh, exam, how, how do they compare with my glasses from two years ago, which was the last time I had new glasses made? Uh, my left eye, which is the eye not involved in this procedure, was actually better, and my astigmatism in my left eye was actually less. That, and he said that just, you know, he said it happens once in a great while, but there's no reason for it, and actuarially, never happens. Praise, Praise God. God. Praise God.
Miss Laura, you want to come? Miss Laura has a mighty testimony of God healing her her body. Everybody, this is Laura Duncan, our children's pastor. Uh, five years ago, I wasn't feeling good, so I thought, well, maybe I better go in for a checkup. And they had blood work done. and I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I didn't think it would be anything major. And the doctor called me, and he said, Laura, you have hepatitis B. And it blew my mind because I don't know how I could have contracted that. Uh, I don't have the lifestyle that would have caused that. And it, it just devastated me. And uh, it, it devastated Joe. And so for a week, I was probably down in my lowest point, just crying out to God. And so one day I was sitting in my backyard reading the Word, and I was reading Psalm 72. And verse 12, it says, For he will deliver the needy when he cries for help, the afflicted also in him who has no helper. And I, I just said, Lord, I'm needy. I don't, there's no cure for this. <laughs> I, I need help. And then it said, he will have compassion on the poor and needy, and the lives of the needy he will save. And then the next verse is what got me. He will rescue their life from oppression and violence, and their blood will be precious in his sight. And I started crying out. I said, God, I have hepatitis B blood. Is my blood precious to you? And it was at that moment, it literally felt like Jesus was sitting next to me on the bench. And then he put his arm around me. And I just felt comforted. Well, the doctor told me, he said, You're, we're going to have to do more blood tests. He said, I'm concerned about your liver. Um, we need to go in for an MRI. So I went in for an MRI. He called me back and he said, well, that test was inconclusive. It's kind of fuzzy. We need to do some more blood work. So... Then he called me a few days later, and he said, Now, I don't know what's going on because you had hepatitis B, but now you have antigens in your blood. That doesn't happen. He said, But we need to do some more blood work, so come back in. So a week later, I, I went and had more blood work done, and then he called me back, and he said, Okay, you had hepatitis B. It was confirmed twice, and then you had antigens in your blood, but now you don't have antigens or hepatitis B in your blood. He said, I don't know what happened. Do you? I said, you know, then it started clicking. Yes, I had an encounter with the most holy God who heals. Hallelujah. Thank you, Laura. Isn't that awesome? And sometimes God does a miracle for somebody else. And so I'm going to ask our brother, C.B. Porter, if, if you'll come up and testify about that, C.B. Everybody, this is C.B. Porter. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I told Greg, I, I try not to get emotional. Several weeks ago, our grandson 
was diagnosed with a liver disease that could have been terminal. We came to church. I want to say this one thing. I can't quote scripture. My memory's not good enough for one thing. But it's hard to believe in the Lord. Love the Lord. He's here. We came to church that, that next Sunday after uh, we were told. Of course, the family was devastated. This young man, 17 years old. And he was diagnosed here in Granbury with liver disease. We didn't know what to do. We came here that Sunday with Trey and Danny. And uh, we started to leave that, that Sunday. And I looked over at Cheryl and was crying. And I took her by the hand. I brought her up with Greg. And uh, I told him the story. We prayed for our grandson. The next week, he went to Cook's Hospital to get a second opinion. The doctors up there said, no, you do not have that disease. You do have Gilbert's. They diagnosed him with Wilson disease here, which is bad. They told him, yes, you do have Gilbert's disease, which is not. It's just not really kind of minor. You just have to watch yourself. But we know what happened. We know that God stepped in. That would not have happened if we hadn't prayed. Handkerchief. I brought one just in case. <laughs> I can't explain it except to say, Thank you, Lord. I have been to the Lord two times in my life with my heart in my hand asking for help. So far, I'm 100%. <laughs> he took a heart problem for me years ago, about two years ago. It wasn't in this church. It was another church. This Ford, Danny, and Trey led us to this led us here. I give them honor for that. He took that problem from me. I was having hard pains. We went to Fort Worth, and they said, what's wrong with you? Of course, after several thousand dollars later, they found out nothing wrong. The only thing we did was to go to the Lord with our hearts. Hear, hear, Lord. We did. So anybody that can say there is not a Lord or anybody can say that He can't heal needs to get right. You need to come to the Lord. You need to come with your heart in your hand. Say, here, Lord, help me. He will. And I want to thank Greg. The first time he asked me about this, I told him no. Because <laughs> I knew what I was going to do. So next week he called me on the phone. And I, and the first thing I did, I said yes. <laughs> I think somebody had a hammer on top of my head saying, you need to do this. Amen. But thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We need you.
church, I want to I want to give God praise for all of these things that are that He's doing in, in amongst our body. And I would be remiss if I didn't at least point out some of the other things that that God is doing. I mean, we have had people like Hal Holloway literally healed of cancer. We have one of my heroes, our brother Gary Kidder, that's walking through such a series of miraculous testimonies that I just can't believe it. We've got people like even our own worship pastor, Sheikh, who's walked through mighty testimonies of, of God healing his body. And, and even today I received word, or yesterday I received word of one of our young ladies, Cheyenne Columbus, and God is healing her sight. So praise God. I mean, God is moving amongst this body. And we, and we give Him the praise, even the fact that we're sitting in this sanctuary. I've got to tell you, this, this building itself is a, is a testimony to God, I believe. So now we're going to move to what I, to me, what is to me the, the tough part of this message. <clears throat> because I have a confession to make. And, um, Maybe, maybe some of you can identify with this. But when I hear some of these testimonies, and I've got to tell you, I absolutely give God glory for what He's doing. I give God glory. So let me qualify my confession with that. But there is the tiniest part of me from time to time when I hear a testimony or testimonies like we've heard this morning. There, there's sometimes the, the, this tiny part of me that speaks to me and says, God, did you really do that? Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But I can tell you that if you're dealing with it, that that is hope-robbing doubt. Hope-robbing doubt, and we need to be rid of it. And so, you know, I, I, I feel like the father of the demonized boy in Mark 9, you know, I hear these testimonies and I, and I go, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And so I'm praying and I'm, I'm listening to God and I'm saying, God, what is this all about? What is this little thing that I sometimes hear when I receive these mighty testimonies? And so God has actually talked to me about this a little bit and, and I want to talk to you about it because maybe it'll help you get rid of some of that hope-robbing uh, doubt that you might be walking through. The first thing is is that part of the hope-robbing ro- doubt that we deal with, I believe, is, is, is a function of the culture that we live in. We are living in a very advanced society, praise God. We are living in a very advanced time, and God has given us, blessed us with all kinds of technology and all kinds of people that are trained to do the things that they do. And I praise God for all of them and all of the technology. I really do. I really do. But sometimes all of that serves to kind of muddy up the picture 
of what God is actually doing. Do you hear what I say? Let me give you let me give you an illustration of that. A number of years ago, a close friend of Marietta's went on a missions trip to, to Uganda. And she went into the field in Uganda and she came back and I was stunned by the report that she brought back from the people that were so desperately in need of Jesus in Uganda. She went out in the field, came back, and here's the report that she brought back from Uganda. She said the people in Uganda told her that when they came in contact with an American, they said, you know what? We know Jesus is real. Because we're here in Uganda, and we don't have anything. We don't have anything. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. But you guys in America, you have everything. And you come over here, and you have everything, and you tell us about Jesus. We know Jesus has to be real. You don't need him, but you love him anyway. You see this? You see this? And so this is part of what we have to deal with as believers in our society, in our culture. Yes, it's awesome that Marietta can testify that eight years ago the the surgery that she had didn't even exist. That's awesome. Praise God. But you know what's more awesome? Is that I believe that God is the one that touched her eyes. And I believe that God is the one that is providing the healing beyond any expectation of what the doctors had. Amen? You know, Psalm 27, 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So let me paraphrase that for you in the context of this message today. And I'll just say, you know, technology is good, but God is better. Amen? Amen. So when you... When you testify that God is doing something in your life, I'm going to tell you something. We are so advanced that some people are probably going to ridicule you. Some people are going to call you naive. It don't matter. It don't matter. Because there's going to be a time where you need to know that your hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's a good one, guys. Thank you. Now, here's the second thing that God has kind of given me revelation in regards to this little piece of hope-robbing doubt that I might have. And guys, men, men in particular, men in particular, you need to hear this because it's really important. Because as men, we are men of action. We want to do something. We want to do something. I mean, this is how God has created us. We want to fix it. We want to fix it. Okay? So when I receive some of these mighty testimonies, and I hear that God is working in people's lives, some of the things that sometimes I think, what is it that that person did? What did he do? What is it that was different? Did he do something? Did he go to church more than I did? Did he have somebody with more anointing pray for them? 
Did he read his Bible more? Did he worship more than I did? What did he do that I'm not doing? Do you see what wrong thinking that is, brothers and sisters? Do you see this? It's wrong-minded. Let me give you, let me give you an illustration from a, a sermon that I re- recently read from Gary Wilkerson that will help illustrate the point that I'm trying to make here. Let's say that two young men are dealing with, with an issue of pornography. Okay? And one of the young men, he, he knows that he has to get rid of it. And so he says, well, I'm going to get into my word a little bit more. Matter of fact, I'm going to get into my word a lot more. And, and, and I think I'm going to start going to the men's prayer group because maybe that will provide some accountability for this issue that I'm dealing with. And I'm going to start turning the worship music on in my place. And that will help me too. Now, every one of these things that I'm talking about are great. They're great. They're good things. Don't get me wrong. But the second young man presents himself before the Lord and he says, God, here I am. And I am powerless without you. And through your grace, I am going to overcome this issue. Lord, equip me. Help me. The first young man falls into condemnation because he's unable to keep up those things that he thinks are going to get him through this. The second young man simply receives God's grace, God's mercy, God's power, and he's able to overcome and such a, this is the same thing that we're talking about in regards to miracles. Okay? I, we need to get beyond a works-based mentality when it comes to things that God is going to do in our lives. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I know that it's not only my not only my very salvation that's the gift of God through, through Christ Jesus, but all of the good things that God wants me to, to receive, those are all gifts of God as well. And so that's how God ended up tying all of this back together into the context of the, the teachings that we've received from Pastor Allen through the book of Job. You see, in the book of Job, the way that this all ties together is that Job's friends are condemning Job for things that he has done and then things that he failed to do. And it's not till the end of the book of Job where the Lord God Almighty, creator of the universe, the Aleph and the Tav, where he presents himself in front of Job and, and, and in a very direct and personal conversation says, let me tell you who I really am. All right. When when God begins to make a declaration to Job and he says, I am the one that laid the foundations of the earth. I'm the one who sets the boundaries of the sea and I'm the one who tells the lightning bolts where they can go. And when Job finally receives that, in other words, when he steps out of the mentality of, you know, i got to do these things to, whoa, God, 
you're God, you're awesome. And then he turns and he prays for his friends, and that's when Job is restored. He completely steps out of the works mentality. He recognizes God for who he is. And everything is okay. And he receives restoration. You understand that? It's an important concept. Because what it means is that a lot of this works mentality boils down to one thing. It's all about pride. And I've got to tell you, Lord, help me with pride. Lord, help me because I can't do it myself. You know, we read in that book of Job and in the last chapters of of the book, God is declaring one mighty attribute of Himself after another. I mean, He is awesome. He's the one that, that feeds the wild animals. He is the one that moves the constellations in their place, and He is the one that laid the foundation of the earth. And Job says, yeah, you're right. That's who you are. Now, when we read that, a lot of times, our response would be, well, gosh, it sounds like God is boasting. He's bragging. And you know what? He is. But like the old cowboy said, it ain't bragging if you've done all them things. And God can boast on Himself, and it's all right. Amen? And so what I want us to be today as we leave this place is I want to be a people that say we will boast in the Lord as well. We're going to boast in what God is doing in our lives. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to go ahead and we're going to close this thing out, but, Shake, if you could bring the worship team back up, I'd like to sing that uh, uh, that song... Um, my every, yeah, be my everything. And during this, this message, I told you that um, I believe that God wants to do some miracles in this place. And we've talked about a lot of healing miracles, but that's certainly not the only miracles that God can do. God can do a miracle in your life. If you need a relational miracle. God is ready to do that. I need, I, need, I need one. I need a relational miracle. If you need a miracle in the workplace, God can do that. And I need one. Okay. If you need a healing miracle, God is more than able to do that. Hallelujah. So what I'd ask is, if you need a miracle, I want you to come down here. If you need a miracle in any part of your life, all I wanted you to do, or maybe you need a miracle for somebody else, I just want you to come down here and light up across the front. I'm going to make a declaration of prayer over all of us. Matter of fact, I'm going to go down there, and then after we get done praying, does anybody need a miracle? Come on down here. Just come on down here. If you need a miracle for somebody else, come down here. After we get, to, after I get done praying, we're going to sing this song, Be My Everything, and we're going to make a declaration that as we leave this place today, that we're going to go out into the world and we're going to walk Christ in me and we're going to be the hope of glory. Christ in me will be the hope of glory. Christ in me 
will be the hope that the world needs. Christ in me will be the hope that you need. Let's just, let's just bow our heads and stand together in agreement and let's pray. Lord God, for all of the things that, that you do, Lord, we give you the praise, Father God. Lord, for those things that have caused us to doubt, Lord, right now we stand before you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We say that you are great and we repent for ever doubting you, Lord. Lord, we, de- we declare that you are our good Father, and that you are the source of all hope in our lives, Lord. And we will declare that. Lord, I thank you, Father God, that you give us, each and every one of us, boldness to declare your testimonies and your great works in our lives and in the works of others, Lord God. We will never lay down that boldness, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that each and every person that has gathered before down front today, Father God, I thank you, Lord God, that you hear their prayers, that you are a very personal God. Just as it says in the book of Job that you consider each and every one of these people. Have you considered my servant so-and-so, Lord? And I thank you, Father God, that you are so personal about your relationship with each and every one of us, Lord. Father, we present ourselves to you and we say, here we are, Lord. Your grace is the only thing that is sufficient for us. We receive your miracle today, Father God. Lord, help us to be that vessel of hope that you desire us to be. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. God in my breathing. God in my breathing. God in my waking. God in my sleep. God in my